0: Did a job. Almost every pundit uses this turn of phrase, but does anyone know what it means? Does it suit a plucky grafter commonly seen doing the dirty work? Or is it attributed to the utility player taking one for the team to fulfill an unfamiliar role? Maybe it's reserved for the bodies, relative no marks who serve to make up the numbers in the manager's starting lineup. This episode explores the definition of this football expression through 11 nostalgic names from the history of the game. Arthur, welcome as always.
1: Good morning, Ben. I'm very excited to discuss this one simply because there's so many ways of interpreting did a job. I think most of them are ever so slightly insulting to the player, Mm. Do do you
0: think? Yeah, we're going to try and get through this episode without insulting too many foot- former footballers. I think in many ways, though, we have to admit that the 11 as a podcast, we sort of do a job, don't we? We're not we are not football cliches. We're not the Peter Crouch podcast. But if you want to learn a little bit about nostalgic football, you could do worse.
1: Yeah. And also a fun activity for you at home. Um, count the number of times we say the word job in yes. this episode. I imagine it will probably... Exhaust a few A4 pages uh, for for your notes. So, um, yeah, an entertaining one. Today we're playing a 4-4-2 formation. Uh, as always, if there are any names that you think we've left out, there will be because the interpretation is just so broad. Uh, please do get in touch. At 11pod, the word and not the number. Right, a goalkeeper. Um, I guess... There is one job expected of them. Did this guy do that job?
0: Yeah. It's difficult, actually, because I suppose a goalkeeper kind of does a job regardless of who it is. But I've picked someone that I felt fulfilled this definition perfectly, and that's Gerhard Tremel.
1: Oh, the Swansea Titan. Yes. He
0: was a solid yet unspectacular goalkeeper who did the basics well. Um, he was of reasonable but unextraordinary height. He had a mop of wispy blonde hair and he was decidedly German in his appearance, which made him sort of rather unremarkable. And I, I don't want to focus on appearance, but he very much looks like a goalkeeper that would do a <laughs> job.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, can I just put for, for you listeners, um, reasonable but unextraordinary height is six foot three. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's that's a pretty good definition of reasonable but unextraordinary. Thanks, Arthur. You're welcome.
0: Having been an understudy at Hertha Berlin and Hanover, it was a role he was accustomed to when he joined Swansea in 2011. Uh, he was Michel Vorm's understudy. He was originally on trial, a free agent, but having impressed in pre-season, he was seen as the perfect man to do a job if called upon. He made just one league appearance in his first season, a 2-0 defeat to Stoke. But the following year was when he truly set a new standard for doing a job. Following an injury suffered by first-choice goalkeeper Vaughan, Tremel started a run of games in the Swansea team for the first time. With Tremel in the side, Swansea went on a seven match unbeaten run that included memorable away wins at Liverpool in the League Cup and Newcastle United and Arsenal in the Premier League. And he helped his team to win the League Cup, Swansea's first major trophy and a passage into European football. He did the ultimate job. In fact, he was record breaking. At a rate of 4.2, he had the best saves per goal conceded ratio in the Premier League for the 2012-13 season. And he also had the best save percentage in the Premier League that season at 80.9%. And I think probably what helps Tremel here is a lack of expectation. I feel like that's a hallmark of doing a job. Um you're kind of expected to come in and do your job, but nothing more. And that was all that was expected of Tremor. So for him to almost exceed those expectations, I think takes doing a job to a whole new level,
1: Arthur. No, I completely agree. I mean, Vaughan was a, a real legend of that Swansea outfit at the time. And so to replace him, especially considering the important run of fixtures that they had at the time was, was a difficult job. I'm just reading a quote here from uh, Michael Laudrup, who said, uh, Gerhard's done well. And it's very important to know you have a goalkeeper of quality when things happen. Um, So, Mm. you know, he was that reliable number two come in. Uh, I'm quite interested to see that he really didn't play much after that opening run of encouraging fixtures. And I don't know whether there was a thought in their minds, maybe he's done enough. He's done enough of a job to replace That was
0: exactly it, Arthur. I think if if Tremel had continued to be first choice at Swansea and gone on and blossomed, I think his choice in this did-a-job-11 perhaps would have been misplaced. But it was the fact that immediately when Vaughan returned from injury, he went back in the Swansea goal. And, in fact, Tremel would play just two league games in three years at Swansea after that before bowing out of football altogether. So... It was very much the thinking of Laudrup that Tremel was there when required. He came in, he did his bit, he did it to an excellent standard, and then that was it. How bizarre.
1: It's got shades of uh, Yakupovic in my mind. Yes, absolutely. Very like that. I mean, a good, brief period in the Premier League, and then literally no football for two three years
0: (laughs) yeah and I think a lot of reserve goalkeepers could have had a shout for being in this 11 I mean Tony Warner and Mark Bunn were another couple I considered but the fact that Tremel excelled when asked to do a job I think earns him a place between the sticks
1: very good pick there Ben well done on the left of defense uh, we have Pascal Seagan.
0: oh that's an interesting pick
1: yeah, I mean, first things first, I thought this was a really good shout. So I thought I'd verify with my colleague, Arthur. Do you think Pascal Segan's a good shout? No, he was shit. <laughs> wow. So, okay. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't <laughs> think it's a great shout, but there we go.
0: <laughs> wow. Are, are all of your colleagues called Arthur?
1: Uh, there's actually three of us currently. The Arthur hit rate is quite high. Um, but I'm largely considered Arthur number 1. Uh, he's Arthur number 2. But Sigan arrived from Lille for a fee believed to be around £2 million. He'd been a key member of that Lille side that had played in the Champions League and was voted Player of the Year in the French Ligue 1 in 2001 by French journalists. I think the overwhelming feeling at Arsenal seems to be that this was a pretty big transfer flop. He's ironically referred to as Zinedine Sigan, <laughs> I think they believed he failed to cut it at the highest level. There was a chant, he's bald, he's shit, he plays when no one's fit. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality in my mind is somewhat different, I think. He was a capable backup at centre-back to Sol Campbell and Martin Keown, and he acquitted himself competently at left-back when injury crises forced Cole and Cliche out of action. Uh, and competent is the key word, I think, when defining this eleven. Um, they need to be steady and unspectacular. Uh, potentially fill a hole, so an injury replacement really, uh, really works well. Ben, you said it in the intro: a, a body. I think seagan um, yeah. at times was was certainly a body. Arson often used him in the League Cup to add a bit of experience to an otherwise very young side. So that sort of custodian of experience, I think, is is a useful did a job as well. He's, he's surpassing on his knowledge to the next generation. There were obviously uh, hiccups throughout his time at Arsenal, a horrific own goal against Panathinaikos, uh, a fairly catastrophic lack of pace, but the endeavour was always there. I, I I read some recollections of the big man from Tom Humphrey, who recalled the penalties against Rotherham in, in the Cup. Arsenal went through winning 9-8 on penalties, and segan scored from the spot. I remember my dad saying, we better get ready for this to hit us as we were sitting high up in Highbury. But he smashed it into the top corner. An absolute beauty. There we go, another another instance of, of, of Seagan doing a job. Yeah. Um, and I think one important thing to remember is that he was not invincible. He played his part in a side that went unbeaten for the entire season, which is just unbelievable. He got a Premier League winner's medal in 2003-04. He won two FA Cups with the club, as well as two community shields. Uh, his role of backup and the ability to do a job anywhere across the back line meant that he was a really useful string to Arsenal's bow. And I think because of the fact that he didn't live up to the expectations, it meant that in reality, he's he sort of thought of as a massive dud, when in reality, I think he was actually fairly decent. Hmm.
0: I I kind of agree with you actually I think that's an interesting pick because just because he came in for relatively big money with a great deal of expectation doesn't mean that he wasn't a player who did a job when called upon it just means that perhaps he didn't reach the levels Arsenal fans expected but he kind of became a bit of a cult hero didn't he Uh, perhaps because he was a little clumsy the fans warmed to him in a way
1: apart from arthur
0: yes apart from <laughs> arthur that's very true i've just found this blog and it's basically 20 things you didn't know about pascal seagon and i would preface this by saying i don't think they're true uh, but they include pascal seagon wrestles bears in his spare time which is why they are an endangered species and it also includes an asteroid didn't wipe out the dinosaurs pascal seagon did so yeah <laughs> great stuff. I'm playing at left center back today is a, a bit of a blast from the past. It's Junior Baiano. yes, the, he was Brazilian, wasn't he? He still is. Yeah, oh, yeah. good. <laughs> Junior Baiano was asked to do a job in one of the best teams of all time. Um, I'm going back here to the 1998 World Cup. Brazil has Rivaldo, Dunga, Ronaldo, of course, but a dearth of centre-back options. Who could they call upon? Well, it would be Junior Biano alongside another 11 uh, alumni, Al Dair. Yes. I think Junior Biano had an incredibly modest and unspectacular pedigree and CV going into this World Cup. He played fewer than 100 games in Brazilian football for Flamengo and Sao Paulo. uh, And he'd had a dramatic and at times comically chaotic spell at Werder Bremen in 1995-96, which climaxed in him receiving a 10-match ban for punching an opponent and having his contract terminated. So it shows how desperate Brazil were that they had to call upon him on the biggest stage of all. During the World Cup, Baiano had a mixed time, essentially asked to just be a body and make up the numbers and and try and prevent other teams from scoring as many as Ronaldo would at the other end. He played every minute. He'd contribute to a clean sheet against Morocco, but otherwise he was totally outfoxed by Torre Andre Flo against Norway and he'd keep no further clean sheets. But let's give him some credit. Brazil reached the final. He did his job of ensuring the opposition couldn't easily outscore the Brazilians and only a Zidane masterclass against an off-colour Ronaldo would prevent them from winning the tournament. But that said, I do like Harry Pearson's assessment of Baiano's job in the Guardian. He says Mario Zagallo of Brazil attempted to lighten the weight of expectation on his players by employing the centre-half Junior Baiano. Watching Baiano attempt to trap the ball was to be put in mind of a pantomime cow attempting to free its foot from a bucket. He was blessed with all the balance of a Daily Mail editorial on Asylum Seekers. He had a trial with Hansa Rostock and they rejected him. Yet what a job he did for his team. With him beside them, Rivaldo and co could express themselves, safe in the knowledge that whatever sort of mess they made everybody would be too busy marvelling at Baiano's ineptitude to notice it. So scathing there from Harry Pearson, but it does refer to him doing a job,
1: Arthur. Absolutely. One thing that really surprises me about him is that he didn't play for any real elite side at all. I, I think my overriding memory of him must be from football gaming, because mm. I remember so distinctly clive Tilsley saying Biano, i don't like it it seems like a very t- tills yeah, um... approach <laughs>
0: yeah I, you're absolutely right but i almost think that's the point i mean this guy was was not that good but right. brazil just didn't have any other center backs so really it was a case of saying to him please just just be in our defense <laughs> try your best to, to keep the uh the opposition at bay um he was simply there to do a job and he very nearly won the biggest prize of all. Um, he'd become a journeyman after the World Cup, playing in Brazil, China and the USA, uh, but he wouldn't get another cap, interestingly. Uh, by the time the 2002 World Cup came around, Lucio had been unearthed to replace him. So um, there was there was literally just this one hit of stardom for Baiano and it very nearly came off.
1: Strongly encouraged to check out the junior Baiano fouls compilation on YouTube as well (laughs) Uh, are some absolute corkers in there I completely get the uh the 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 lack of balance comment that you uh you referred to he sort of looks very out of control and and uh hacks down quite a few players very un-Brazilian so uh well done Junior
0: who's alongside Junior
1: it's Christian Daly
0: oh yes that feels very did a job instinctively
1: yeah, he he sort of arrived at West Ham in 2001 with quite a lot of success under his belt, both north and south of the border. He'd won the Scottish Cup with Dundee United. Uh, he played Premier League football with Derby County and Blackburn Rovers. He appeared for his country at the 98 FIFA World Cup finals. At West Ham United, that's the club I feel he really proved his job worthiness at. Uh, he became a true cult hero for his work rate commitment uh, his willingness to fill any position notably he'd started his career as a striker at Dundee actually uh, and of course his thick and curly dark hair he actually said I'm not being funny my son is a caricature of me he's got an unbelievable barnet it's actually a different level to me my dad had a huge curly barnet and one of my brothers is the same <laughs> It's clearly just a a great daily family trait. Um, (laughs) He went on to make 191 appearances for the Hammers for heading on loan to Southampton to to provide cover in an injury crisis. Uh, I was actually at his debut, um, a 3-2 home defeat to Barnsley. Uh, And my memories of him at Saints were just pretty nondescript. He was an aged centre-back, very average. Just, I mean, not really noted for being either good or bad. And I think that's quite key in this role. You know, you 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 gave us an example in Tremel of someone who was just very good, but just for a short period of time, didn't get a chance to do it for a longer period of time. But it just strikes me, and maybe I'm misjudging him because I think West Ham fans probably hold him in quite high esteem, but I, I just see him as a player who was like never remarkable. He just did what was required of him. And no more. People think of me as a crap footballer, but I was an excellent athlete. (laughs) Another pretty did a job attribute, not hugely talented, but a workhorse. Uh, He was certainly reliable, but it's definitely his hair that was the most memorable thing about him, not his game. Um, In 2003, he narrowly escaped disciplinary action when his voice was caught during manager Bertie votes post-match interview. Uh, after an away euros qualifier against germany it's a now pretty legendary rant aimed at the german players but you can quite clearly hear in the background saying cheats fucking cheats fucking diving cheats (laughs) (laughs) wow what a character Mm. so that's daily for you on the right ben well i don't know yet Ah, yes. Yep, you're right. It's the up for grabs position. That will be decided later in the show. A couple of choices for you to mull over on Twitter.
2: Better corner by Defoe. Daly's up. And Christian Daly's first goal for West Ham. It's a towering header. And it means they take the lead.
0: So we're continuing to delve deeper than ever before into the definition of did a job. But before we move on to the midfield, let's take a a short break. And I wanted to discuss with you, Arthur, footballers who have done a job outside of football. Um, Like an
1: actual job.
0: Well, I mean, football is an actual job, isn't it? But yes,
1: it's a a pretty fun job. And we talked more about waiting at restaurants and stuff.
0: That sort of thing. Yeah, okay. exactly that vibe. So I've I've formed a little bit of a quiz for you uh, to aid our discussion, and I'd like you to pair up these nostalgic footballers with the job they did outside of football. Do you think you can do that?
1: I think I'm probably going to struggle, but we have delved into the the both playing career careers of certain footballers, so maybe you'll have forgotten one that we've already discussed, and you'll you'll use it again.
0: Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I don't think I have, though.
1: OK, damn it.
0: <laughs> so I, I've got three for you in this first round, and I'll, I'll name the players and name the jobs, and you have to link them up. Your three players are Giorgi Popescu, former Romanian footballer, Chris Waddle, famous for his mullet, of course, and Thomas Brolin, the Arsenal player. And yes. the three jobs are Vacuum Cleaner Salesman, (laughs) Spy, and Sausage Seasoning Maker.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's not so easy. I mean, when I think of those three, I don't know why, but I feel like the English one is going to be the boring career. So I think I'm going to go Waddle Vacuum Cleaners.
0: Yeah. Okay, looks like he'd he'd sell a Hoover well.
1: Yeah, um, you you're not able to confirm or deny. I just got to go. Okay, not fine. Yet. So I'm going to go. Waddle vacuums. Popescu, sausage seasoning.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: That would mean Brolin's the spy.
0: Right. I'm afraid you're completely wrong. <laughs> got um, none, right. none of them right. No. But thanks for playing. Um,
1: <laughs> Thank Popescu. For
0: was a spy he had a side gig in the secret police under Ceausescu very exciting Uh, Chris Waddle sausage seasoning maker he was an expert in the Cumberland and Thomas Brolin sold vacuum cleaners specifically I believe the heads the kind of suction element
1: Uh, he's a big suction fan yeah big
0: suction fan Uh, well played Arthur Thank you, round two uh three more footballers, three more jobs, Jeff Horsefield, Stuart Pierce, <laughs> and Julian Dix in there we have a former electrician, a dog kennel owner, and a bricklayer.
1: Oh, I mean, I think horsefield's gotta be a bricklayer,
0: <laughs> okay, yeah,
1: um. Oh what would Pierce have done psycho mm. that there... oh
0: bulldogs are pretty scary
1: yeah in fact you're trying to put me onto that i think i'm going to go dog kennel owner would be dicks yeah and that means that what does that mean pierce was
0: an electrician
1: okay you didn't sound that convinced with that so I- i'll just go with pierce as electrician you've redeemed
0: yourself arthur Got them all right. Yeah, Horsefield, Bricklayer, Pierce, an electrician, Sparky, and Julian Dix. He set up a dog kennel with his wife beyond football. Who'd have thought? Fantastic.
1: I I really hope that venture went well.
0: Because you you succeeded there, I'm going to make this even more difficult for you in the final round, round three. I'm going to give you the player's name, and you need to tell me what job you think they might have (laughs) done outside of football. So. Number one, one of your favourites, actually, David Ginola.
1: Oh, I'm quite sexy. disappointed because as soon as I heard one of your favourites, actually, I thought maybe Ricky Lambert. And I know he's a, he was a beetroot factory. Oh, worker.
0: you would have got that right. Yeah,
1: I would have. But no, Sad, this one, but that's not the question. David Ginola, maybe something like a. He's shampoo strange. advertiser.
0: Oh, I like your thinking, but no, Sales. he was actually a winemaker. Oh, wow. He had his own range of wines post-football. Uh, let's try another. Carlos Bacca. This was pre-football.
1: Pre-football, Carlos Baca was a club promoter.
0: Hmm. No, he wasn't. He was a bus driver's assistant. taking the fares there you go that's an odd one isn't it that's a really odd unusual job
1: well Um, i mean he took a step up in his mm, career probably earned a bit more um yes probably
0: probably was and then final one cardiff winger craig noon
1: um he used to dance the irish jig in Mm -hmm. bars in dublin to entertain tour groups
0: (laughs) how did you know that that's
1: mental (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was a roofer. Yes. I mean, he is I, Irish, isn't
0: he? I don't think he is, no. Oh, so no, it would have been right. a really obscure uh, <laughs> hobby of his to take up. I, I feel like roof is a really good job for a footballer. I don't know. That just feels right to go from I think, roofer to footballer. Yeah.
1: Kemar Roof could probably. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely.
0: Richard Rufus. Yeah. 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 Feels right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that. Do get in touch at 11pods if you knew some more of those jobs than Arthur, or if you've got some more to test him on. I'm sure he'd love to take part in that quiz. Uh, Left side of the midfield, a four-man midfield, it had to be for me, Lee McCulloch.
1: Oh, that name. That name, Lee. Yeah. He, He was just, he was, he was there.
0: He was there. Um, for me he was the first man on the team sheet here that did a job 11 a plucky aggressive no nonsense utility player capable of doing a job all over the park during his career he played as a central defender a defensive midfielder an attacking midfielder a striker and even despite his inelegant frame and lack of pace as a winger McCulloch could do a job anywhere He was a loyal servant playing over 100 games for Motherwell and over 200 games for Wigan and Rangers and it was during his spell in England that he would find himself employed in left midfield. He helped Wigan to a remarkable 10th place finish in 05-06 and appeared as a substitute in the 2006 League Cup final. Wigan had some flair about them that year with Henri Camara and Jimmy Bullard, as well as Braun through Arjan and Jason Roberts. But McCulloch's job was just as crucial to run, run, run and run, put in challenges where needed and turn defence into attack. And he scored five goals and got one assist in that year. Do you Mm. have any fond memories of McCulloch, Arthur?
1: Um, Not really. I mean, it was a strong Wigan outfit. I have to say it was quite a pleasure uh, seeing them play under Paul Jewell, he had a fantastic team there. Obviously, that that laid the groundwork for his big money move to Derby. Yeah, uh, that, didn't work that well, what a move um, that but, was, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that Lee McCulloch is the most Evertony non-Everton player. I don't know yes. why. Just it just okay. strikes me as very Everton. I why is that? Do they have a few mucks? They have a few mucks. They had some mucks,
0: yeah. In a similar state of flux with his position on the park at Rangers, McCulloch said, I played in a number of positions for Wigan, so it's not really a new thing for me to be moved about. I just want to play and I will go anywhere the manager asks me. And again, that feels like a hallmark of someone who yeah. did a job. Um, a funny story about McCulloch, he actually uh, wore dentures and had done since he was a child. I don't know whether he knew that. So yes. he described to the newspaper a time when uh, his cockapoo grabbed his gnashes from a table at home after he took them out to watch a film with a glass of wine. And he had to chase it around the house while his dog had his teeth instead of his. So, um, yeah, fun fact about Lee McCulloch. Those dentures did a job and so did he.
1: And alongside him in the centre of midfield, I've gone for Gary O'Neill. <laughs> yes. Love it. Yeah, he. I, I mean, I think I've got to make it clear that I'm not commenting on his time at Portsmouth because I actually thought he did more than just a job at Portsmouth. I thought he might have done a good job, actually. I'm talking actually more about his spell at Middlesbrough, where for all his bluster and effort, he didn't really amount to an awful lot. His distance stats were impressive, so he had strong work rate, but... There were just quite a lot of shortcomings with his game. Uh, I think Anthony Vickers sums it up nicely in Teesside Live. He says he did a job consistently and energetically without too many major mistakes, but without any match-changing impact. He was a steady six and a half. He was a football beige. No, that's not fair. He was a natural Hessian, matte (laughs) rather than silk. It was like he was designed by committee. What he delivered was usually a lukewarm letdown too.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. That's, yeah, that beautifully put. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Anthony. And yeah, just Gary O'Neill was, he was very much one of those players who were just there. He was, mm. he, was, he was always working hard, running around the pitch. Uh, he was promoted at Portsmouth, relegated at Borough went down then back up at West Ham, back up with QPR, up and down with Norwich. He's he's pretty much your archetypal yo-yo player. So probably in the grand scheme of things, he didn't really quite have enough about him to truly stand out at Premier League level. But in the Championship, he was uh, a reasonably good player, I'd say. Portsmouth was undoubtedly his best spell in football. I think despite initial misgivings between the two, he became a firm favourite of Redknapp. Two thousand six seven, he started regularly on the right side of midfield. But I think to show sort of his his lack of overall contribution, really, Portsmouth finished ninth, their best ever finish at the time, but he scored just one goal from the right side of midfield. And and that's not a great output, really, for an attack-minded player. Perhaps that's why he sort of slotted himself into centre of midfield, where his lack of goal output would be a little bit less blatant.
0: Yeah, I think you summed that up perfectly. I mean, Anthony in that article goes on to say that O'Neill is the dictionary definition of a player who did a job. Um, And so I think it's absolutely the right pick for us here today. Gary O'Neill was actually uh, rumoured with a move to Liverpool at one point in his career, which um, (laughs) surprises me. But uh, yeah, credit to him. A great career doing what he
1: does. Maybe he could have gone on to do some sort of like a almost like a Henderson-like job. Yeah, that's true. Um, I could imagine that. Never know. Because maybe if you surround him with absolute world-class players, mm. I mean, as much as I didn't love that team, the Portsmouth team of that time was actually quite good in the end. Yeah. Gary might have been considered the beating heart of that team because he had such energy. Amongst worldies, maybe he's, he, he sort of raises his level with them. 100%.
0: I think a lot of our players so far have probably felt most at home in the kind of lower half of the Premier League. But I don't think it's necessary to play for one of those kind of mediocre outfits and do a job. In fact, our other centre midfielder played at the very highest level. And that's Jeremy.
1: Oh, my God. He literally could play anywhere, couldn't he? Yeah.
0: Jeremy Sorelle fotso so no wonder they decided to shorten it to something that sounds far more pragmatic like a kind of Chris or Fred he was just (laughs) known as Jeremy Uh, one of the most versatile players of all time I'd say Uh, who was never a shock to find on a team sheet but rarely a player to get too excited by either he played at the highest level like I say As well as being a 100 plus cap regular for Cameroon, uh, he applied his trade at Real Madrid and then Chelsea. He won two Champions Leagues with the former, appearing in roughly half of their games between 1999 and 2002, before winning the Premier League with Chelsea, again appearing in roughly half of their games between 2003 and 2007. And he was just such a reliable person to call upon. He could play in a multitude of positions, a manager's dream, as summed up by Jose Mourinho. In my team, I love to have Jeremy on the bench because he's a low-profile player who is ready to help, ready to fight for the team, ready to do the job I want him to do. If I need him to play right back, he can play right back. If I need him to play right winger, he can play right winger. If I need him to pick up a man and mark him out of the game, he does it.
1: I, I, I... That's a phenomenal quote. I mean, the idea that a player can be at a football club and the manager can be effectively praising his versatility there, but say, I love having Jeremy on the bench. Yeah, (laughs) it's crazy, isn't it?
0: And I almost think Jose Mourinho said everything I need to say there. But you've touched upon something. My, My worry with Jeremy is that in his prime, he was probably better than just doing a job and I think he showed that in a brief loan spell at, at Middlesbrough he enjoyed regular football at the Riverside and scored an impressive seven goals from the wing um, and the fans loved him but ultimately because of that desire to play for the very best teams he had to be content with simply doing a job for the elite teams and that's what he did but we might not have him in this discussion had his transfers have, have played out differently and he signed for borough permanently because they absolutely loved him
1: he's got some very interesting personal life
0: yeah it's interesting
1: isn't it in His personal life section on uh on wikipedia
0: yeah his um Except his father samuel was a former footballer in the 1970s a striker nicknamed poison arrow for his powerful shot and free kicks and he was allowed to have five wives due to his status as a footballer which is an odd sort of qualification criteria um so jeremy actually has 17 siblings in cameroon um and another fact for you arthur do you know who jeremy's cousin is
1: Yes, but only by virtue of the fact that I've got it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go on, then. Um, Tell me who it is and pretend you're guessing. Uh,
1: Um, ooh, is it perhaps Pierre Webbo? Yeah, it is Pierre Webbo. Yeah, well done. That's good.
0: Yeah. Okay, Arthur. So, who's on the right side of the midfield?
1: I just thought that Sean Newton would fit. <laughs> yeah, this seemed crying out for Sean. Yeah. I mean, to get 325 league appearances for clubs such as Charlton, West Ham, Leicester, Wolves, you had to have something about you. I just I re- I'm just really not sure what <laughs> Sean <needed that. laughs> Is this is this a bodgie then in our
0: definition of did a job?
1: Yeah, but I'm not really sure you can actually have a body as an attacking right midfielder. He must have had something. I mean, presumably he did have a body, but I don't think you can (laughs) class him as a body because you've got to have some sort of attacking nous guile as an attacking player. So perhaps one for, for our listeners to determine, can you be a body as an attacking player? He had 83... Premier League appearances but yielded just one goal he made his debut as a 17 year old became a virtual ever-present on the right side for Charlton from 1993 until 2001 before he was sent to the stands by the signing of Klaus Jensen and the emergence of a young Scott Parker Um, it wasn't all utterly average a diving header from outside the box into the top corner yes that's what Sean Newton did against Huddersfield in 1997. Wow. I think his did a jobness is emphasized by the fact that I can find no articles online <laughs> about either his brilliance or his failings. He just seems to have slipped from the general consciousness of football fans. In preparing for this pod, it was suggested to me that did a job meant that a player should never have featured on Match of the Day for either something good or something bad. And I think Sean ticks exactly that box. Yes. He's been caught up in a few legal battles over time. Um, He once attempted to bypass the speeding ticket procedure for fellow footballers Teddy Sheringham and Bobby Zamora by losing the tickets which had been sent to them. He was given a 28-week sentence suspended for two years He was ordered to pay 1,900 quid in costs and disqualified for driving for one year. It got worse. Uh, He was caught up in a bizarre incident where he was high. He was burgling a house. Um, I mean, he was was basically, he was sentenced to 100 hours of community service, but managed to sensationally avoid jail by claiming he thought he was on a treasure hunt. (laughs) What? So he said... I was in some treasure hunt, or I thought I was. I was looking for the rest of the clues to solve the puzzle. I was led to believe there was a car, a Range Rover or whatever that I was hunting for. I pulled apart my whole house looking for keys. There were things in my house leading me to number plates, stuff like that. And I was led to believe I had to do certain things like breaking glass. (laughs) Wow. This
0: is like a, a crazy
1: escape room. It is a little bit. Um, so yes, he attempted to burglar house, but by all accounts, it does sound actually like he did genuinely believe that it wasn't just a fabricated yeah. story, which makes it almost quite sad. But, um, yeah, that's Sean for you. Three England under 21 caps, a hell of a lot of appearances for someone who just didn't really seem to have any end products. But then again, maybe, you know, as a passive viewer, you know, I haven't really watched all of his 325 league appearances. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Charlton, West Ham, Leicester and Wolves fans will, will be outraged at the suggestion. We'll say, actually, he did a lot off the ball. Um, he was an intelligent player. I can neither confirm or deny that, but please do get in touch and let us know. What was Sean Newton doing on a football pitch? <laughs>
0: I kind of feel like if ever there was a a football kit that kind of did a job as well, it it was that Wolves kit with the Doritos sponsor where they made a a brief return to the Premier League in the early noughties. And and he was aware of that as well. I I really do like that pick. It just feels very, very did a job. And I think Jeremy and him will will link up very nicely, actually, on the right hand side.
2: Be able to the ball in. Oh, it's disappointing, though. It's, from as far as Jeremy, what a shot! His first for Chelsea.
0: So a two-pronged did a job attack. Wow, this is going to be threatening, isn't it, Arthur? Uh, and we start with a bit of a throwback, Carl Leeburn. <laughs> um uh, mm, I'm not sure do I know that name when was that no I to be honest I've never seen Carl Lee play um but the more I read about him the more I wanted to include him in this 11 um he was the definition of plucky Carl Lee goal scoring record was pretty poor but my god did he do a job for his team he was so industrious with a never say die attitude unafraid to put himself about a classic target man centre forward. And actually Clive Mendonca has claimed that Lee Byrne was the best strike partner he ever played with at Charlton oh. just because of that work he did off the ball, uh, despite the fact that he was rarely on the score sheet. He progressed through the youth setup up at Charlton and made his debut in the late 1980s. He'd become a cult hero, making 344 appearances for the Addicts, Chipping in with 53 goals, but only managing double figures in two seasons. And he continued his record of all fight, no finish when he moved to Wimbledon in 1998, this time scoring just four in 58 games. But who cares, frankly? Lee Byrne always did a job for the team. As a defender, you never had a moment's rest playing against him, and his strike partners were tasked with providing the final finish. They'd take the glory. That he'd be the fans' favorite. Apparently, when he was at Charlton, they um they started selling shirts outside the valley which read, I saw Carl Lieburn score, because it was such a rarity that um that became a bit of a prize possession. He actually um, had one of the worst goals per 90 minutes ratios in Premier League history, but not the worst. Any idea who that might be? It should be said you have to have scored to be on this list.
1: Adi Akinbayi?
0: No, it was actually Andy Gray, the Sunderland striker. Oh, wow. Uh, 51 games, one goal, which is quite a Uh, poor record, really. But also Lee Byrne is a true trailblazer of football nostalgia, and nothing captures the amateurish nature of the beautiful game in the early nineties better than this clip. Here, Lee Byrne is awarded with a special prize for being man of the match, a twenty-one inch colour TV from his local tech store. Well done, thank
1: you. And uh we would fight to that, him. Um, thank you, it's just a shot. Glad to get the telly and uh...
0: You look nice in your bedroom. It's very awkward, isn't it? Incredibly uncomfortable. He's seen wheeling it out the shop at the end. Um, I'm not sure that would happen nowadays.
1: Yeah. Oh, very, very good pick. I like a striker who doesn't really score much because there are a few jobs that strikers can do. uh, And harrying an opponent is very much one of those. I think Shane Long... Uh, your striker at Reading now. He's very much that. He he He's a menace, an absolute menace for teams to deal with. Uh, but he just never really scores, apart from last weekend. Congratulations, Shea Long.
0: Good goal. Well done, Shay.
1: The other half of this potent strike force, I, I really struggled to pick this one between Caleb Folan and Craig Fagan. <laughs> I mean, just both seem entirely interchangeable i don't know whether that's because of their stints with hull city uh, or their largely unsuccessful spells with bradford later in their career Uh, but in the end i went with caleb just because yes he felt even more average so (laughs) caleb folan welcome um this pick hinges largely on the fact that there were a few particular cases when he did exactly what was asked of him At Wigan, he scored the only goal in a 1-0 win over Man City. Uh, Wigan stayed up on goal difference that season. Uh, His only goal of the 2008-09 season came on the opening day for Hull against Fulham as an 81st-minute winner. Hull stayed up by a point. And these moments seem to have forged for him a career that was ultimately unbelievably average. (laughs)
0: Say it how it is, Arthur.
1: I mean... He went on to have a few bizarre stints during which he was unable to do a job. First was for T tea team in Malaysia uh, as one of wow. two overseas players, along with George Boateng. He would not score in 10 games uh, and would then move to Bradford, where he would not score in six games. I told my housemate, Will, that I was considering picking Caleb. Yeah. A- and he said he's one of the worst players he's Ever seen play oh. for Bradford? He said he wasn't League Two standard, oh and Bradford played in League One at the time. Fortunately, he saved the best till last. He did more than just a job at Can Bowser FC oh. in Myanmar. He scored 13 and 17. Uh, he must have been seen as a titan of Mian Namese football. Uh, so He was seen as such a doer of jobs that Ireland thought he could do one for them. His maternal grandparents uh, facilitating a switch of nationality. Uh, Unfortunately, they too were fooled as he was goalless in seven games. There's a lot of bluster here. I mean, he works hard. I think it's important to say that the more I read about Caleb, the more I liked him. So I'm really happy he's in this eleven. He seems like a great bloke. Whilst in America, at Colorado Rapids, he had an incredible experience. As reigning champions, the Rapids were invited for a meet and greet with Barack Obama. Um, It's an American tradition for all the winners to be treated to a day at the White House. And Folan had actually joined the club only after their victory. But as a member of the squad, he got his ticket. Uh, And he said, afterwards, we got changed and had the chance to play on the front lawn. I kept looking up and seeing this magnificent building and thinking, this is incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I kind of love Caleb Folan as well. I think it, he had a presence about him. He was, he was six foot two, I'm just reading. And, and I kind of remember that about him. His physicality was, was an asset, certainly. Um, and so you kind of knew you were in a game, but I am inclined to agree that he did have a level I don't want to say he, he found that level in the Myanmar Premier League, but certainly it's good it does to see that successful there. Yeah, it does kind of, if you look at the stats. The
1: Just FYI, I'm six foot two, Ben. So does that mean I have a, a presence?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I, I'd say you could do a job in the Myanmar Premier League. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's return to our up for grabs position. It's our right back today. Uh, And as per usual, at 11 pods, there will be a poll up and you can vote for the final position in our did a job 11. Daniel Hurley, he writes some fantastic books about West Ham's history. Uh, The Games That Made Us is out on August the 29th and The Greatest Escape, the craziest season in West Ham's history is also out now. I do encourage you to check out his Twitter page, D Hurley Books. And of course, if you're a West Ham fan, why not try one of them? He's got in touch with a nomination. Let's hear who it is.
2: My nomination um, for the right back for your Did a Job 11 would be um, from my club, West Ham United. Um, and it would be um, our fullback for most of the 1990s, Tim Breaker. Uh, Breaker was um, for me the archetype, seven out of ten Um, bombing up and down the flanks all day long right back. Um, In fact, quite often he'd be in the other team's penalty area, more than our own, um, quite ahead of his time in that sense. Um, But yeah, just week in, week out. I scarcely ever remember him missing a game through that period, particularly sort of the early to mid-90s. It um, yeah, absolutely did a job, would give every single um, left back and left winger a tough time. But yet, crucially, I think never was really linked for bigger or better things, which I think is makes him the ultimate did-a-job type player. Um, also went on to have a very good but quite unspectacular coaching career, which I think is also quite a happy bonus for this sort of thing. Um, so that would be my nomination, Tim Breaker. Uh, thanks very much, guys.
0: I've actually never seen him play But uh, looking at images of him, he, he looks very did a job.
1: He looks a bit like Ian Dowie. And actually, the second image on Google Images is Ian Dowie. So maybe they were separated at birth.
0: Great to hear a bit more about him. Thanks so much, Daniel. Really appreciate you getting in touch. Another one for the poll. I've gone for Jeff Kenner.
1: Oh, yes. Good old Jeff Kenner. He played oh, for I, Southampton, I, like,
0: didn't he? Yes.
1: I, yeah, it's a fantastic name. I also really like the name Steve Cabber.
0: <laughs> OK, fair, fair enough. Thanks for sharing. This is not about him. It's about Jeff Kenner, a surprise winner of the Premier League during his 90s spell with Blackburn. Uh, When Jason Wilcox was injured, Kenner was tasked with coming in, filling in, doing a job, helping to get Blackburn over the line. And he did. Kenner was a classic, solid, dependable, reassuring, unexciting fullback. He just did a job. And most of the time he did it well, but he never, ever grabbed the headlines. How many people get Jeff Kenner on the back of their shirts? He played in the Premier League for Southampton, Blackburn and Birmingham. He even played Champions League football during that time. And I just felt he was a suitably pragmatic choice for R11.
1: Very good. And probably one of the most pointless answers in Premier League winners. Yeah, he's got to be up there, doesn't he? Yeah, Yeah, And I'd like to throw Moritz Volz's name into the hat.
0: Yeah, I, I rated him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I might have included him just because of his website. He's got his own website, or he did, vaultsy.com. It's truly bizarre and wonderful at the same time. He's collated his appearances in the media. He lists his loves and hates, including his favourite restaurants, GBK and Nando's. Um, (laughs) And his favourite person, David Hasselhoff. He says, "Oh, Hoff is my hero. He always has been. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that the Hoff isn't just a person. He's a state of mind, a kind of <laughs> higher power. Hoffness is everywhere. And he is the ultimate source of inspiration to me. What? In times of trouble, I often ask myself, how would the Hoff deal with this situation? I don't know what to say.
0: <laughs>
1: he actually had the Hoff written on his boots for good luck against Astor Villa in 2006 and promptly yeah. scored his first goal in three years. So there we go. Maybe he is a kind of higher power. I have to um, say
0: as well, if ever there was a restaurant that did a job, it probably is Nando's.
1: Yeah, it it does exactly what's required. Mm. It it's the ticks a box. Uh, as a player, he attained a cult-like status with fans, uh, in part due to his commitment, his passion, uh, his community involvement. And I just feel like he was a reliable presence on the right for Fulham for a number of years, actually, uh, after... I didn't even realise, but he signed as a youth player for Arsenal. Did you realise that? No. No, he never played for them, but he was an Arsenal 17-year-old signing, one of those kinds oh, of okay. kinds of players. But um, I, I just felt like he produced displays that were, in my mind, very unnoteworthy, but probably in a good way. So he never really made any mistakes. He was just always that reliable, did-a-job presence on the right uh, one thing that was noteworthy was when he scored the 15,000th Premier League goal. Oh, that, of course, earned him the nickname 15,000 Volts.
0: Oh, clever. I see what yeah, they did they there. Yeah.
1: Yes. I didn't do it. I mean, the fans did it, but I've just, yeah. just said it.
0: I really like the name Steve Cabber. Anyway, um,
1: do... we just add him to the poll, even though yeah. he wasn't a
0: right back. Actually, yeah, good point. We could do that. Let, well, find out. At eleven, Pod, place your vote. Who's our right back?
2: Crown, ball to win this. it down nicely. Foden is on side this time. Taylor Foden is away from McCauley. Foden into the area. Foden, he scores. It's his first goal in a Tigers shirt, and didn't he take it well? Sheer strength taking him away from McCauley, the Leicester
0: defender. Riding the pines for our did a job. 11. Uh, I'm going for Tamir Cohen, the Bolton (laughs) midfielder that just seemed to pop up with random goals. But I I mean, he was just, he was a, he was a body, wasn't he? He was quite good, but he was just kind of there for Bolton, a presence.
1: Yeah, he was there. Uh, And another who was there was Neil McCann.
0: (sighs) Yeah, he was.
1: Just always there.
0: He was just there. Yeah, not really
1: doing an awful lot, but. He said, I mean, no one could say he wasn't there.
0: I feel like as this episode's gone on, it's it's turned from quite a, an intelligent, robust definition of did a job to he's just there.
1: <laughs> so he literally, could be any player in world football.
0: Yeah, I'm not oh. sure we've really solved this, but um, we have named 11 nostalgic players. So hopefully that's enough. This is how they line up.
1: In goal, we have Gerhard Tremel. Left-back, Pascal segan Centre-back pairing, Christian Daly and Junior Baiano. And the right-back is a choice of yours. Head to Twitter to vote on that. In the middle of the park, we've got Gary O'Neill and Jeremy. On the right, Sean Newton. On the left, Lee McCulloch. And then up front, Caleb Folan and Carl Lieburn. Thank you for listening.